0: Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of That Time When.
1: That Time When.
0: The comedy history podcast where each week we take you back into history and tell you about some of the strange, unusual things that have happened in the course of this, the life of our planet Earth. I'm David Attenborough. No. (laughs) I'm Barnaby King and joining me as ever is my co-host Amelia Edwards.
1: Hi.
0: Hello. So... Did you know that this episode is going to be our first for December?
1: Oh, is it? Yes, it oh, is. happy
0: event, everyone. Exactly. And you know what that means? It's Christmas soon? It is. Yes. So soon. And when we get to this time of year, one's mind goes back to that most marvellous of tales, truly one of the greatest stories of this or of any age, really. I'm talking, of course... About the Muppets' Christmas Carol.
1: <laughs> I mean, okay, it is a good
0: film. It is good. It is...
1: Surprisingly accurate.
0: Yes, uh, one of the best Christmas films, uh, even if Michael Caine, bless him...
1: He can't sing. He cannot
0: sing. He tries his best, and bless him for it, but yeah, he really
1: can't sing. God bless us, everyone, including Michael Caine,
0: who cannot sing. <laughs> but... It's a great film, and the reason I bring it up is because of Michael Caine's character. Okay. One of the most famous characters in English literature, Ebenezer Scrooge. Yes, I am Scrooge, I
1: like my money, yes. He is as cold and solitary as an oyster, as hard and
0: sharp as flint. Indeed, you're actually teaching students about Christmas Carol, aren't you? No, I don't teach children about Christmas Carol. no you not?
1: No, because we do that at GCSE, oh. and I don't teach GCSE, oh. but I do mark
0: them. I was going to say, I've seen you marking stuff about Christmas Carol. Yeah,
1: I don't teach it though, oh, I just mark enough. it. fair
0: enough. Well, either way, like you're involved with it.
1: I, I'm involved with I'm, I'm annually involved with mm. a Christmas Carol,
0: so you know a fair deal about Ebenezer Scrooge. I do.
1: For one a- thing—he's middle-aged. He's not old. Did you know that?
0: Uh, I didn't actually know. No, I think it's because like you get the picture of, of mm. him, like white-haired, and he's always very,
1: and... v- very grizzly. But no, no, he's—he's he's not that old. Yeah.
0: Well, I wanted to talk about a real-life American version of Ebenezer Scrooge. Trump no 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 this is uh this is a woman who is kind of of the era as well well a little bit before okay uh she lived most of her life during what is known as the gilded age of america
1: okay we're
0: talking about the uh mid to late 19th century early 20th century okay okay Um, It sort of goes up and down a bit. There's no real official sort of date for the Gilded Age because it's kind of a made up term.
1: I mean, they all are. I mean, yes,
0: true. But this was I think some people think of it more so than others, because during this period, during the 19th century, there was a great boom in America's wealth.
1: Sure, that makes sense. They had their own industrial revolution, didn't they?
0: Exactly, yeah. It was largely thanks to uh, industrialization and the railways. Because so
1: pretty like the UK.
0: Yeah, pretty much, yeah. But when you've got a larger population mm-hmm. spread over a larger area, mm-hmm. things like mass transportation becomes even more important.
1: Oh, absolutely.
0: So wages started going up. There was a lot of wealth around. Excellent. Uh, there was also, though, a great deal of inequality. And well,
1: colour me surprised! <laughs> well, yes,
0: obviously. And this is the reason that it's termed the Gilded Age. It was a term uh, invented by Mark... T- well, partly by Mark Twain. What a who, babe? Yes. And as we know, he has a dim view of pretty much everything. Yes. And so, <laughs> I don't know
1: anything he actually liked. <laughs> no.
0: So he saw this as a Gilded Age. So it's like, it's not a Golden Age. It just mm-hmm. has a veneer uh, of gold. Lovely. But underneath... There's a lot of crap.
1: Okay, so we're definitely going with um, Charles Dickens-style wealth inequality. Exactly, Like, you get the super rich, and then you get pretty much everyone else is starving and living lives of criminality and filth.
0: Yeah, and this was also a time where there was quite a lot of immigration to America happening. of course. Because, you know, people were after them good factory jobs and things like that, Mm -hmm. which meant that there were a lot of people who came in and then were... Treated awfully and didn't really get anywhere and yeah, yeah, yeah it's all yeah. very sad. But we're going to ignore them and we're okay. going to talk about the rich people. <laughs> okay,
1: good. Thank goodness, because for a moment there though, I thought we were going to have to talk about the fact that, you know, even in those days, even Irish people and Italian people were discriminated against. Like, you've, you've really like you've got to discriminate against pretty much anyone you want <laughs>
0: yeah no we're actually going to talk about someone who benefited quite a bit from this society thank god okay yes this is a woman who uh she was born in 1834 mm-hmm. uh, her name was henrietta howard robinson and she is known as being one of the wealthiest women in history how come i haven't heard of her well, there are many reasons for that. But let's, let's start off at the beginning of her life. Like okay. I say, born in 1834 and like most rich people or people who became fabulously wealthy later on, she was born to a rich family.
1: Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah absolutely.
0: Yeah. When you get those people who are like, ah, oh, such and such was a self-starter or a self-made man or anything like that it always turns out that there was a huge loan given to them by their parents somewhere in their history.
1: Absolutely. Or at the very least, they received the very best education mm-hmm. and were able to interact with the other most wealthy people.
0: Absolutely. like,
1: Or their mum knew somebody from playing tennis with them mm. who got them a job. That was a deliberate dig at one of our friends and I
0: apologise. <laughs> oh, I hadn't even thought of that, but yes, it was. <laughs> He doesn't listen to this show. No, no. Almost certainly not. But if you are, hello. Um, <laughs> well, their family... Uh, well, her, her parents made money both in the same industry, basically. Okay. Which was whaling. Oh, my God. Which was very big at the time. <laughs> I
1: mean, it was. you got to get them corsets from somewhere. Well, and, and that oil. And-, and the
0: oil. It was the oil in particular. Um, her father had his own whaling business. Mm-hmm. And her mother was heiress to another massive whaling company
1: for a moment there I was really hoping you were like and her mother worked on one of his ships (laughs) and then they met and it was like in Herman Melville's Moby Dick they were like rubbing the oil together and it was all very sensual no it's (laughs) Moby Dick is a really weird book please go read it like all of it it's not what you think
0: (laughs) yes I know a lot about your opinions about Moby Dick (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> I was so tired.
0: Yes. Uh, we w- Amelia-, Amelia finished reading it on a plane back. F- that was Barcelona, wasn't it? It was. Yeah, we went on holiday to Barcelona many, many years ago. And she finished reading it on the plane back. She was very tired and kept laughing because his name's Moby Dick and he's a sperm whale. His
1: name's Moby Dick <laughs> and he's a sperm whale. Yeah. Why does no one make that joke?
0: I think it's just low-hanging fruit
1: <laughs> but people make so many low-hanging fruit jokes yeah, about Moby true. dick they don't point out he's a sperm whale yes
0: <laughs> well either way mm-hmm. there's a lot of money in this family anyway and yeah. it would be incredibly unlikely that her mother would work on a whaling ship because it seems that her mother and her mother's sister were both very sickly individuals okay um and as such, she had some difficulties uh, giving birth.
1: Oh, no. Uh,
0: she managed to give birth to Henrietta. Mm-hmm. And later, uh, she got pregnant again and gave birth to a son who died weeks afterwards. Oh. And then couldn't get pregnant again. Mm-hmm. And this was a bit of a problem because Henrietta's father really wanted a son to, you know, you gotta continue have the a w- business. You've got to have
1: an heir to continue your whaling business.
0: Exactly, yeah. So he was kind of pissed off, and oh, no <laughs> she uh she, being the mother, was pretty depressed. Well, yes, so they both kind of decided, or most likely, I think, he decided, that he didn't really fancy raising hetty, okay, uh, as she was as she would later be known, and so sent her off to live with her grandfather and aunt, okay, who was the older sister. Um, But as I say, it was quite sickly. Right. Uh, She had a private tutor, because, you know, wealthy enough to do that. Of course. And was known to excel in mathematics and in reading. Uh, Nice. She would read the financial papers out loud to her grandfather and later on her father, because they also were a family who were known to have very poor eyesight on the men's side, it seems. Okay. So they might have had trouble with, you know, the smaller print. Right. But Hetty, who's very good at reading, Mm -hmm. would read it out loud to them. And this is kind of the start of her just immersion into the world of finance. Okay. Hetty was pretty thrifty, even in childhood. Uh, She would receive like small amounts of money for good behavior. Okay. We're talking like nickels and dimes sort of thing. yeah and she saved them up and at the age of 8 opened a bank account
1: that's that's pretty cool that's yeah. pretty cool so she's got her um what is it like nationwide saver account going exactly. on yep. yeah
0: yeah so early on you know signs of someone who is going to be thrifty and pretty financially savvy sure and her grandfather recognized this and he would take her on trips to the docks to oversee <laughs> not for anything dodgy <laughs> no one ever goes on trips to the docks <laughs> for a good reason. Well, I mean technically this was because he's in whaling. I mean So they would go and visit his like operations okay. and she would see firsthand how the business was run.
1: And other businesses, if you know what I mean. Well,
0: yeah, later on, uh, Hetty was known for having a pretty foul mouth. (laughs) And some people suspect this is because she learned language from the sailors on the docks. That would make a lot of sense, (laughs) yes. Which I just think is great. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you are the heiress to two whaling fortunes... You've got to swear like a sailor. It's just part of the whole chic.
1: I mean, I feel like you've got to do that and also wander around with a harpoon. Like, <laughs> that's how you get rid of your enemies. Yeah.
0: Well, her father actually started taking an interest in her at this point. Oh, my God. I don't
1: like her father. No,
0: her father seems like a dick. <laughs> um, he, like, he...
1: ugh, a girl. Oh, wait, she's acting in boyish ways. Mm.
0: Spoilers, he gets a bit better but remains a dick for okay. most of the time. Cool, cool. Um, So like I said, he kind of notices, oh, she's actually interested in this stuff and she's actually quite good at it. Yeah. So he starts becoming a bit more involved in his daughter's life. (sighs) Fine. And by the age of 13, Hetty was actually working as one of the main accountants in her father's firm. She was like involved in some of the highest levels of finance in it.
1: Okay, Jesus. That is a lot of pressure to put on a child. Yeah, she seemed to rise to the challenge. I mean, I'm sure... But, you know, as, as a teacher of young minds, mm. I have a strong belief that pe- that kids shouldn't be too exposed to their parents' finances at a young age. I think it stresses them out a lot more than they need
0: to. I suppose so. I don't know if this sort of plays into it as well. But the family, they had some quite strong familial traditions based largely around the fact that Hetty's family were Quakers,
1: Really? Yes. Okay.
0: So I think they had quite this sort of strong familial bond, Mm -hmm. which meant that, you know, they wanted her at an early age to be involved with the family and the family business.
1: Not so much that they'd want her to stay in the same house as her parents. Well, no. (laughs)
0: Um, She was known to have some uh, quite strong temper tantrums. Uh, i
1: mean i'm not surprised no, i'm not surprised
0: either but her aunt who for a while seemed to basically be her surrogate mother basically gave up on her because she was too sick and weak to yeah. deal with this really angry child
1: oh my god
0: i mean yeah you've got to feel sorry for her but at the same time she is like you know massively achieving stuff
1: like yeah.
0: I'm, I'm not saying it's good no let, let no. me just let okay. me just like get ahead of it there I'm not saying any of this behavior is good. I think it produced a very interesting person. Yeah. I don't think it's a model of parental behavior.
1: <laughs> no. Oh. Oh, you're right. Yeah. No, like, shall we shall we shall we move on a bit? Shall we get to get to bits where we're not talking about her ter- like
0: terribly upsetting childhood. Yeah. Okay, that's fine. Let's go on to a bit nicer. So in 1860 her mother died. Great. Uh, <laughs> That is actually the next bit in my head. Yeah, notes. I know it was. Uh, in 1860, her mother died and she left no will. Okay. So the majority of her mother's estate, which was worth at uh, the time about $100,000, mm-hmm. went to Hetty's father. Sure. She did, though, leave a house worth $8,000 to Hetty. And I looked it up. That house would have been worth about a quarter of a million dollars today. All right. So she's not like... She's not poor by any means. She's got she's property got a house. already. All right. How old is she? Uh, at this point, she is 26.
1: All right. Not bad. Okay. So yeah. she gets a house about the time that I get a house. That's not a quarter of a million dollars.
0: Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um. I think this was because prior to this, I think she was still living with her grandfather. Yeah. Or like living in that house. I think with her aunt. I don't know when her grandfather died. Um, anyway. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. But she moves out. She's yeah. She's a... Um. Where is she living? New York? Yes. She's a New York City gal. Yep. Out to make it on her own <laughs> with only her massive, massive inheritance I back her I know.
0: How is she possibly going to survive?
1: Then <laughs> she gets a job in a coffee shop <laughs> because they always do.
0: <laughs> well, no, because the family business was still doing really well. It okay. seems that I think this this kind of encouragement of thrift, which partly comes from the Quaker upbringing. hmm Is also a bit of a family trait in terms of like financial savvy as well. Because her father actually sold his whaling firm just to the point where whaling oil prices were starting to dip. Ooh. And what happened shortly thereafter was they crashed. Yeah. But he got out at just the right time and then heavily invested in cargo shipping. And so he got Mm -hmm. ahead of that crash.
1: Well done, Hetty's father, Yeah, even if he is a complete
0: arsehole. Yeah. He also invested in government bonds, uh, which wasn't something that many people were doing at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a sort of behaviour that Hetty later on definitely goes pretty all in on. Yeah. Um, we'll talk about civil war bonds later on.
1: Nice, nice.
0: Now, her father did basically go, you know what, you may not be a son... But you're, you're going to be a bit of an heir, so I need you to marry.
1: You may not be a son, but you've been my main accountant for the last 13 years.
0: <laughs> Daughter, can I afford to marry you off? <laughs> Check the accounting books. Oh my gosh. Imagine. Yeah. All right. So her father wanted her to marry. Hmm. I think she was a bit ambivalent about this, to be honest. <laughs> okay. Um... There are stories, and uh, it's hard to verify them exactly, but these are some of the stories that come about around this idea of her father wanting her to marry. He bought her a ton of really fancy dresses so that she could go to, like, balls and that and Mm -hmm. attract the eye of a worthy suitor.
1: (laughs) And she Uh, was like, Father, I am far too busy with my abacus. Well, kind of. She
0: sold the dresses.
1: Oh, that's great. (laughs) That is some baller
0: moves right there. Yep, and reinvested the money. Of course she did. She was also, um, so after she was privately educated, she did go to to like proper schooling from age 10 onwards. And she was kind of, she went to schools that taught her how to be a young lady
1: oh finishing school yes
0: she went to finishing school like in Enola was,
1: Holmes oh god yeah. so she would have been taught how to balance books on her yes. head um, what were the other things how to wear a corset for some reason yeah. even though that wasn't part of the uniform and how to be just ladylike let's like, let's
0: not just shit on a pretty bad film
1: uh, <laughs> it was a mer film I just didn't film. really know
0: what a finishing school was yeah yeah I don't know I always find like a a good like a proper bad film is more entertaining than a meh film yes it is anyway anyway so she did go to this school so she did like this was a life that she was kind of expecting to be this sort of debutante of course Uh, in order to fund this lifestyle her father would also give her an allowance of $1,200 a month I believe how much is that Uh, you know I don't know
1: and it still seems like it would be a reasonable amount to give somebody.
0: Yeah, I'll just look it up. Okay, having looked it up, I don't think this could be a monthly allowance because adjusting for inflation, $1200 in 1854 uh is worth about $37,000 today. <laughs>
1: What would you even do with that?
0: Yeah. So I think that was probably a bulk allowance uh, given to her for, you know, just funding this whole looking for a husband lifestyle. I guess so. She banked a thousand of those dollars. Of course she did. And instructed a maid to spend the remaining $200 on bargains (laughs) so that she could still, you know, leave a good impression, but didn't have to spend a load of money doing
1: it. That's brilliant. And I also like the fact she didn't go dress shopping herself.
0: Yeah. (laughs) i mean she possibly did it's hard Mm -hmm. to tell it seems like she was a woman who very much did things for herself Mm -hmm. uh there are stories later on which we'll talk about which involve her traveling many many miles on public transport and like doing journeys that were considered dangerous for a woman at the time yeah uh alone great in order to like pick up a check.
1: Sure. (laughs) I mean, but it does sound like she's maybe not super keen on this whole getting married thing. Like, she's like, Yeah, well, I suppose. So maybe, maybe when it's something that she's not really that involved in, she's like, okay, so I'm just gonna bank this check and then tell my maid to go look for some bargain dresses.
0: Yeah, that, that would actually make a lot of sense Mm. because, This whole period of looking for a husband did not bear fruit. No. Uh, She did not find a husband. I
1: guess she's like turning up to parties, but, you know, standing around, like seeing if there's anyone she can talk to about finances.
0: (laughs) Or seeing if there's any sort of savings she could make from the party somehow. I don't know. Maybe she's searching for coins on the floor or something. (laughs) Well, she didn't manage to get a husband before her father died. Okay. And her father like I said he got he got better mm-hmm. like he sent her away early on and was a bit shitty but he got better when he recognised that you know she had worth <laughs> but then he goes back to being a dick because he clearly didn't trust her to fully run the business okay so her inheritance was kept in trust
1: right yeah okay
0: so her aunt received the sort of lion's share of the actual available money okay okay um, Interesting. Yeah, but her aunt, being a sickly woman, actually mm-hmm. died shortly thereafter as well.
1: Well, yes. Yeah. For a moment, I thought you were going to be like, but she went and had tant- temper, tant- temper tantrums at her.
0: <laughs> and well, no. I mean, something did happen. We'll get to that very shortly. Um, she did inherit a quite a quite a sum of money. Mm-hmm. Uh, it looks like she had about seven and a half million dollars. Cool. Cool. But. That was kept in trust as well. Yes. So she didn't really have much access to it. But then Hetty produced a letter, which purported to be an earlier will that made her, Hetty, the sole heir and to discount any future wills.
1: Really, Hetty? (laughs) Is that what's just happened?
0: Yeah, the courts didn't buy it. No! Uh, She got into a really long legal battle, which actually lasted five years. Ooh. And during this time, it was attested that she had, you know, forged the will. Well,
1: surely you can't make a will that says, please ignore any future wills that I make. (laughs) Like, that doesn't make any sense.
0: Yeah, they weren't really going to find in her favour. No. But during this time,
1: love bloomed. Ooh,
0: Hetty Robinson married Edward Henry Green, who himself was a millionaire who had made money trading in what was known then as the Far East.
1: Nice, nice. So
0: we kind of know what sort of things he's trading Opium. in. Opium and silk and nice. all manner of things from all those wonderful exotic places, mm-hmm. uh, which were, you know, in vogue at the time. Yep. But Hetty, though, she didn't did not want to be tied down. She didn't want to need no man. No. And she definitely <laughs> didn't want no man getting his greedy hands on her fortune. Okay. So she made him sign essentially a prenup.
1: Awesome, uh, Hetty.
0: Yeah. And made him renounce all of her money. Mm-hmm. Their finances were to be kept strictly separate.
1: Now that is brilliant. So I don't know what the law was on, um, like shared finances Mm. in marriage for Americans. But I do know that in England, um, in Britain, it was the case that if you got married, then your husband automatically owns all your stuff.
0: That was pretty much the occasion here too. Okay. But she obviously didn't want that. She's like, you know what? This is my money. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to have anyone dealing with it who's not me. Yeah. So yeah, she got him to agree to this. Uh, presumably because, you know, he was a millionaire in his own right. He's like, oh, that's fine. It's all right. And they moved out of America and moved to London. Oh, okay. And had two children while they were there. They were there for many years. This is possibly because Hetty was about to be indicted for forgery. Well, because so, of the will? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so they had to get out of the country. Okay. Uh, or she would face some pretty bad criminal charges.
1: I mean, that's like that's so romantic. Imagine, <laughs> <laughs> imagine marrying somebody at the time and being like, I know that you're a multimillionaire, but mm. I'm a millionaire too, so I don't mind if you keep all of your own money, even yeah. though I could probably marry a different millionaire lady and have even more cash yeah and also yes you need to flee the country that's fine we'll flee the country we'll go to london we'll have two children and they'll be brought up with cockney accents
0: i get the feeling that he wanted to move to london and she was just like oh good that gets me off the hook (laughs) yeah right (laughs) so this legal battle lasted five years Mm -hmm. and it went through various different stages and frequently Hetty was like lost out Mm -hmm. but eventually she she won she was awarded a settlement of six hundred thousand dollars okay and they stayed in London for a little bit longer I Mm -hmm. guess you fled to a place but they kind of found that they liked it. Yeah. They had their two children, a son and a daughter, and they're like, you know what? Everything's pretty chill here.
1: Yeah, late 1980 sorry, late 1800s London. Yes. Yeah. Pretty alright. I think by that time they're getting the sewers fixed. So mm.
0: I mean, it's pretty alright if you're wealthy, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and during this time, her initial fortune of seven and a half million dollars mm-hmm. had ballooned to twenty-six million dollars.
1: Oh my god!
0: She was estimated to be earning annually one and a quarter million dollars. Uh, sometimes she would earn up to two hundred thousand dollars a day. Wow! And then would reinvest it. Yep. She yep. Hetty was, and and still is considered one of the pinnacle of buy low, sell high, of um, oh god, what's it called? It's like contrary, con, uh, contrary investing or something, uh, contrarian investing strategies. Yeah. Okay. Uh, she would basically buy up whatever was cheap, regardless okay. of what it was. Uh, she would well, she would prefer to buy things like mortgages, mm-hmm. government bonds, and railroad stocks in particular.
1: Yeah, that seems like a really good investment at the time.
0: Yeah, but she basically believed that everything that was cheap would eventually become popular again. So she Hmm. just had to buy it and be patient. Uh,
1: I guess if you've already got that much money, then if you want to buy a load of cheap stuff, then Mm. it's not really a risk. Like either you've only spent a very little amount Mm. or it's going to get big.
0: I think this is her principle. Basically... As long as some of them work out, Mm. it would cover any that didn't. Yeah. And her belief would definitely be that, you know, they would have their time anyway, and they would cover other cheap buys. And this was a really effective method of growing your finances. Uh, She bought greenback bonds after the American Civil War. These were government issued bonds, um, but they were extremely unpopular. Because people have just come out of a civil war and are like, the government's not that strong really. Do you think they're really gonna like pay out on this? Uh Hetty believed that it would.
1: Yeah, eventually.
0: Eventually, yeah, exactly. That was her whole thing. Mm. So she bought a ton of these greenback bonds. (laughs) Okay. And what happened was during this time, or like the latter half of the nineteenth century in America, there were various financial crashes. Because there was so much investing and speculating going on that, of course, you're going to have lots of different crashes. Mm -hmm. And then what would happen was she would step in with her greenback bonds, cash some of them in, and just hoover up all the crash stocks. Yeah. Because now they're worth nothing, so they'll be worth more in the future, even if it's a little bit more. It's like they're so cheap that they can't possibly get worse.
1: Yeah. (laughs) I mean, makes sense.
0: Like, she had a lot to say about this particular style. Uh, She said... I believe in getting in at the bottom and out on top. I like to buy railroad stocks or mortgage bonds. When I see a good thing going cheap because nobody wants it, I buy a lot of it and tuck it away. (laughs) There is no great secret in fortune making. All you do is buy cheap and sell dear. Act with thrift and shrewdness and be persistent. When I see a thing, going cheap because nobody wants it i buy a lot and tuck it away then when the time comes they have to hunt me up and pay me a good price for my holdings
1: (laughs) okay so i hate to stereotype here yeah but she sounds like one of those american frontiers women like you know the the sort of idea that you had these you had all these kind of like savvy ladies who Mm. were housekeeping yeah and they had this whole thing about being able to buy loads of like whatever product really really yeah. cheap and then make the most out of it. Yeah. She sounds like that but in investing.
0: Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And it's it's also particularly interesting with her because even though she is considered to be one of like the great tycoons of the era, mm-hmm. she was never an industrialist.
1: No, it doesn't sound like she is. She's no. just an investor.
0: Yeah, which was really unusual at the time for someone so wealthy, most yeah. of the people who existed were industrialists who like, became, like, fabulously wealthy. This
1: is sort of the time when we're starting to think about, like, oh, my God, who am I even thinking about? I don't know. The people who made that um, building in New York. Give me a second. Oh, the Rockefellers? Yeah. Yeah. I guess we're starting to think about Rockefellers. Rockefellers, like, this
0: time. Uh, Chase family as mm-hmm. well. Yeah, all those sorts of people. But Hetty was not like them. However, her husband... Was a bit more like them. Okay. In that he liked to live a lavish lifestyle and display his wealth.
1: Oh no, this is not
0: going to work out for them. No. We'll talk exactly about like Hetty's thriftiness later on, but you can tell already, I hope, that Hetty is not the sort of person who likes to make a big display of her wealth. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Edward was. He was so profligate, he basically collapsed his firm Oh, no. And Hetty found out when she tried to move money in her bank account in the Chemical National Bank. hmm They were like, you can't because your husband owes $700,000.
1: Oh, yeah. no.
0: So she was furious. Absolutely. Because of him being such an idiot, basically. Like, yeah, she's really? like...
1: Buy, low, sell, yeah. high, for God's sake, man.
0: Yeah, she kind of took this as a personal betrayal. Okay. Um. Yeah,
1: I feel like a lot of her her identity is bound up with yeah, investments. So. absolutely.
0: So she did bail him out. Mm-hmm. And she did actually remain married to him. There was some question that they might divorce, but instead they just sort of separated. Yeah. So legally they were still married, but they didn't live together, and it took her a really long time to get over this betrayal. She did not forgive and forget.
1: <laughs> I mean, okay, so part of me is like, that's really sad that they'd fall apart like that over just money. But then part of me is like, it's seven... What was it? $700,000. $700,000. Yeah. I mean, that's a lot to get over, actually. Yeah. Granted, she's got tons, but you know.
0: Yeah. No, That that is... More than she was happy with. Yeah.
1: Uh, (laughs) I mean, I guess you'd also be worried in case he did it again. Yeah. You don't want to get into that kind of weird spiral. I
0: think this was part of the thing. I think she kind of saw it as a great betrayal of everything she believed in. Mm. And she thought, yeah, if he's done it once, what's going to stop him doing it again? Mm. So... Now, at this point, as a woman by herself, she becomes kind of an infamous figure, and she earns the title The Witch of Wall Street. Which
1: I love, because it sounds like a prequel to The Wolf of Wall Street.
0: (laughs) Yes, right?
1: Surely, The Witch of Wall Street is the one who curses The Wolf of Wall Street, (laughs) thus transforming him into a wolf.
0: Yes. Oh my god, yes! We
1: need to make this into like a a Halloween trilogy, so you've got The Witch of Wall Street, The Wolf of Wall Street, and the... I'm not
0: sure. What else would it have to be? The Witch of Wall Street, the Wolf of Wall Street, and oh, I don't know. Mm.
1: Does it have to be another W? Is it the Warlock of Wall Street? or I feel is that's it too
0: close to Witch? It is the Witch, the Wolf, and the Wardrobe. <laughs> <laughs>
1: surely then it would be the wolf the witch and the wardrobe yes and then you finally go through the wardrobe of wall street into a magical <laughs> just, land that's all stocks
0: i was gonna say you just end up on the stock market floor
1: <laughs> but it's just like a looping thing you yeah. find the wall street wardrobe you go through it and you find yourself downstairs again you're like oh
0: yeah so she was partly known as the witch of wall street not only for her like seeming magical abilities to predict what's gonna be uh, valuable, mm-hmm. which really I think is just down it, to it's a literally just
1: It's statistics, isn't yeah, it? That's what much. she's doing.
0: Yeah. Law of large numbers sort of thing. Yeah. <laughs> but she would also known to dress in quite cheap clothing. She was said to only ever own one or two dresses at a time. Wow. And she would only buy a new one when an old one fell apart. Oh my god. She would tell her maids only to wash the edges of a dress where Mm -hmm. it was visibly dirty Mm -hmm. in order to save money on hot water and soap.
1: That's pretty standard for the poorer Victorian times though.
0: Yeah, but the thing is, this was the thing, she was acting like she was incredibly poor. Yeah. Uh, Her diet was mostly cheap pies that cost about 15 cents each. And it was suggested that she would eat oatmeal, so porridge, uh, which was heated on a radiator. <laughs> oh,
1: my God. Yeah. There okay, are... you may be right in her whole Scrooginess thing. Well,
0: I'll, I'll, I'll tell you some more of these stories, and then we'll, we'll go on to some discussion about this. Okay. Uh, she was said to have searched for half a night in her old carriage because she had misplaced a stamp worth two cents. Rather than renting an office... Uh, in order to conduct her finances she managed to persuade the manager of the chemical national bank mm-hmm. to give her a back room to use as an office because she had 31 million dollars in the bank and they were pretty pretty invested in yeah. you know keeping her happy most infamously however her son had suffered an injury to his leg when he was quite young mm-hmm. And it was said that she was so cheap that she refused to pay doctor's bills and he eventually had to have the leg amputated.
1: Oh my god. Yeah. Okay.
0: So right now we kind of see that Hetty, pretty clever and awesome, but also not a very good person.
1: It sounds to me like she might just be too hung up on money, like she's got some kind of weird fixation on it, Mm. like possibly some kind of obsessive-compulsive type thing going on
0: possibly so but what i've told you about so far is the sort of general opinion of her Mm -hmm. for quite a while but she has fairly recently undergone modern re-examination okay and some people have suggested and in some cases have provided evidence that many of these stories were either exaggerated or fabricated entirely
1: okay the story
0: of her cooking porridge on a radiator yeah not true like there is no evidence of this whatsoever okay apart from people making shit up right basically hetty were hetty green was a woman in a man's world Mm -hmm. and people there were people who were invested in you know not having equality and very Mm -hmm. much keeping the cultural norms of the time so their idea since they couldn't like break her because you know she's got tons of money and she's super intelligent instead they kind of went oh look she's an exception because she does all these crazy things to be so thrifty yeah it's not that she's just really clever and lucky enough to be have been born into a rich family it's because she's she's a thrifty miser who won't even pay to treat her son who let's face it at the time we're thinking about here doctoring was not great It seems likely that she would have paid for a doctor. He would have got an infection. Yeah. And lost his leg anyway. (laughs) They didn't have antibiotics at that point. Exactly. So immediately we start seeing that some of these stories are probably lies. Or, like I said, exaggerations. She was definitely thrifty.
1: Yeah. um, But... But we're thinking Quaker thrifty, not I've got some kind of mental illness. Thrifty. Exactly. Okay. And that's
0: that's one of the other points. That's one of the reasons that we can see her being thrifty is not because of like she's a miser, but mm-hmm. because she believes in simple lifestyle. Yeah. In fact, her religious beliefs were quite important. Um, She was very discreet, for example, in her donations to charity. Yeah. Uh, so much so that many of them weren't found out about until after her death. Mm. which is a very quaker and like proper you know that, jesus that thing is to do. what
1: christ tells people to do in the bible yeah exactly
0: uh, she would also uh, give loans to churches at well under normal interest rates okay uh, she's known to have done this on at least 30 occasions wow all right uh, so she probably did make some money from that but you know
1: no, but not he, she's much. she's doing it without doing it to make a gain exactly okay.
0: yeah She was also known to be a pretty capable nurse. And she was known to help friends and neighbours when they were ill and would help nurse them back to health. Okay. And this is particularly important because she, at this point, lived in really cheap housing. Yeah. So she would have lived in quite poor areas. And not only that, she moved around a lot, Mm -hmm. basically to evade property taxes. (laughs) (laughs) But... But this does mean that she sees like a huge slice of life
1: in the poorer sections
0: of society and did actually like help them out. Not enough to, you know, give them a great deal of money, but... No,
1: but she is actually doing stuff about it. Yeah. All right.
0: I kind of feel like she's very aware of her privilege. Mm. She kind of... She knows that she was lucky enough to be in a situation that allowed her to be this wealthy and it meant that she didn't have some of that sort of like desire to be lavish or anything like that. She kind of saw it as, I'm fortunate enough to be in this position, so I don't want to sort of show it off. Yeah. Okay. Like th- this is not this is not like the prosperity gospel. Yeah. I'm not wealthy because God wanted me to be. I'm just lucky. She was also pretty careful about passing on her ideas to her children. Okay. Uh, When I say careful about it, I mean, she was careful to do it.
1: Oh, of course. Yeah. I mean, she doesn't want them wasting $700,000 like their spendthrift father.
0: Yeah. Particularly her daughter. This was quite an important matter because her daughter would eventually get married. Mm -hmm. So she was very careful that she wanted to meet with her daughter's suitors and assess their suitability because she was basically like, they're going to be marrying you for your money. Yeah. And I don't want that. So.
1: I mean, that's a smart lady right there. She
0: is so smart. Yeah. Uh, eventually, she, after seeing away loads of different suitors, she eventually settled on a sort of lesser heir to the Aster fortune. Okay. So he was rich in his own right. Mm-hmm. She was like, good. Yeah. He's not marrying you for your money. I am still going to make sure you do a prenup situation much like mine.
1: Of course. But maybe it's easier to talk people into prenups if they're already millionaires. Yeah,
0: exactly. Which, I mean, is what happened with her. Mm-hmm. And she was like, I did well out of this. I'm going to make sure my daughter does yeah. well out of this as well.
1: Yeah, geez, imagine if her husband had had her money.
0: Mm. Exactly. Oh. Yeah, yeah, she she wanted to make sure that her money was going to the places she thought it should go.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, she was actually like as I say, she wasn't an industrialist and she was pretty supportive of the poor in general. Mm-hmm. In 1895, there was a general strike of workers and she said, the poor have no chance in this country. No wonder anarchists and socialists are so numerous. The law must be upheld, must it? Then why don't they begin at the right end? Who begins to break the law? The great railroad magnets. Let the poor man break the law and see how soon he gets into jail. So... Nice. Yeah, she's pretty well aware that, you know, if you're rich, you can pretty much get away with anything. And Mm -hmm. if you're poor, you're going to suffer. She was also uh, firmly of the belief that the only reason that women were not wealthier and more powerful was because of cultural norms and upbringing.
1: I mean, that makes sense. She's kind of ignored cultural norms a lot through her life. Um, so Absolutely. the idea that she's only managed to be successful is through ignoring that cultural norms makes a lot of yeah. sense.
0: She said, I believe that woman is quite as capable as man in conducting business affairs. I do not believe woman to be inferior to man, save as she has become so by mistaken course of training.
1: Actually, you know what? I've got to give her props for this. Yeah. Because I think that a lot of the time when you have women in a very highly patriarchal society being successful, there is a tendency to believe that you've done that because you're better than other women in some Mm. way or because rejecting uh, feminine norms was something that only you could do or something like that. So the fact that she's like, actually, any any woman could do the same thing as me if they had the freedoms to do it Mm. is like a pretty brave thought to have i think i mean this is
0: partly what i mean when i say that she's kind of aware of her privilege mm. um because she doesn't she she at no point really goes like i'm special i did this because i'm special or anything like that she really like if anything she bases it on her education uh, she says american women would be much happier if they learned the principles of business in girlhood
1: yep yep that makes sense
0: and uh When talking about men trying to take advantage of women in business, she says, I found this particularly so in the courts where I've been fighting men all my life.
1: (laughs) I mean, yes, but also you did forge that. I mean,
0: yes, she did. (laughs) But I think that this is part of the reason that there are so many of these stories about her being a sort of Ebenezer Scrooge-esque figure is to kind of slander her. Yeah. Um, again, going back to her, because she's eminently quotable, just because I dress plainly and do not spend a fortune on my gowns, they say I am cranky or insane. Mm. And yeah, I mean, we see evidence of this pretty much everywhere.
1: <laughs> yeah. I think it'd be really interesting to compare her to some of the big, uh, like, Quaker industrialists. Mm. Um, because I'm pretty sure, like... For example, Roundtree, yeah. he was really, really interested in the lives of the poor. He's actually one of the reasons why we know as much as we do about Victorian poor yeah. in England, because he did a census on it to oh, find right. out about it. Yeah, um, like He was really involved, and he took that to um, Parliament and mm. argued for the poor and things like that. Um, but I believe that he was also probably fairly plainly dressed yeah i know that he didn't spend money lavishly except on his workers because he built them all oh, that's nice he built them all cottages he gave them all fruit and, pastels <laughs> that would be quite nice i'm sure he did yeah probably. Um, but he built them all cottages um so that they could live a healthy lifestyle which was yeah. kind of like the big uh, victorian quaker thing at
0: the time yeah
1: but i don't know i don't think anyone ever really talked down about him as far as I'm aware. Well, he's a man. Well, that's true. But, but this is what I mean. Yeah, like, yeah, This yeah, is yeah. why I think it would be interesting to compare the two, being like, oh, this woman wears plain clothes, mm. and oh, this man wears plain clothes. But that's perfectly acceptable because it's the Victorian era. Yeah. And we all do. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. There's also, there are a number of things that you kind of feel that she should be remembered for because not only were you talking about like her charitable deeds that were kind of discreet, mm-hmm. there were some pretty overt gestures that were uh, pretty important. She bailed out the city of New York on multiple occasions during oh financial gosh. crashes. Okay. Most famously during uh, the panic of 1907. Yeah. Which was a three week crash. Oh my That gosh. saw... Loads of people losing money, and she loaned out 1.1 million dollars to the city in exchange for bonds because she loves them bonds. Of
1: course. <laughs> so yeah,
0: she kind of
1: was... so she saved New York. She helped yeah, save New yes. York. Yes,
0: she helped save New York.
1: Okay, cool. So cool, cool. you know, so she's a Marvel Cinematic Universe hero. Yeah, pretty much. Wearing a plain blood dress. <laughs>
0: oh my god, I so want that now. Don't we want that? I want, like, a superhero in the Marvel universe who just, like, wears a black dress. Yeah. And, like, it's really cheap. Yeah. (laughs) She she lives in a rented apartment.
1: She moves around a lot to avoid taxes. (laughs) It's
0: like, is it to keep your identity secret? No, No. It's to keep the tax man off my filthy Luca. Oh, dear. So... Getting towards the end here, mm-hmm. in 1898, at the behest of her daughter, she actually reconciled with her husband. Oh, okay. Because he was going through a period of prolonged illness, which would actually last the rest of his life. Uh, she went to him, made up, and basically acted as his nurse for four years mm-hmm. until he eventually died in 1902. At this point, she dresses entirely as a widow.
1: Mm-hmm. Not much difference then, but more Not much
0: difference, but yeah. Uh, Some people who, you know, still got to perpetuate that idea of her, said that she would only dress like a widow because black was easier to clean and didn't show up dirt.
1: (laughs) Okay, so that is funny. Yes. But also, like, I've seen widow's outfits from the 1900s. They're slightly elaborate. Yeah,
0: so there are pictures of her in her widow's outfits. Yeah. And... I, I, I guess there is a certain simplicity to them I mean of course but yeah they are uh, she, she's definitely dressed up yeah. to be a widow
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean uh. there was a lot there was a rule in polite society about how many different layers of crepe you had to wear yeah. compared to how many years your husband had been dead or something yeah and so... eventually you get to wear lilac
0: <laughs> <laughs> so yeah I think people were still being a bit cruel to her mm. Uh, in 1911, uh, she actually converted from her religion to the Episcopal faith. Oh, okay. Uh, this was so that she could eventually be buried with her husband because that oh. was his faith. So, Oh, that's sweet. Yeah. Okay. It's also possibly because then she would save money on a grave plot because there already <laughs> was one. Who knows? <laughs> well, in 1916 she suffered a stroke and shortly afterwards she did die and she was buried next to her husband her fortune went to her two children who didn't really have descendants of their own okay so it was kind of spread out especially because despite trying to extol these lessons of thrift the children were a lot more like their father yeah not as bad yeah it seems that they they were they were fine but yeah, they were no Hetty Green.
1: I mean, I feel like if I'd been brought up in, in apartments shifting, like shifting around mm. New York City regularly, I probably would want to spend some I, of that money. I think at that point
0: they had actually moved out. I think they oh. were grown up enough to move out at that point.
1: Yeah, but you know what I mean? Like, yeah. often at time, often <laughs> you- if you've been brought up with, like, less than, you kind yeah. of needed to feel secure you might want to spend some of that cash
0: yeah i've got this idea of the kids being like ah it's coming up to christmas time we should we should spend it with mother where is she nowadays (laughs) I don't
1: know if she moves every, like, 11 months.
0: <laughs> all they have to do, though, to be fair, is just go on public transport and eventually they'll see her. Yeah. <laughs> or go to the bank. They know that she's got an office there. Yeah. Well, she's got a room that she managed to basically...
1: Swag. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so, do you remember back when I talked about how uh, her aunt Sylvia had been given all this money? Yep. When her aunt died, she was proclaimed as having been one of the wealthiest women of the era. Okay. And like had the biggest estate to, di- to di- uh, dole out after her death. Cool. She was succeeded by Hetty Green. Of course she was. Who her eventual fortune, we don't actually know exactly how much it is. It is anything between 100 and 200 million dollars okay so at the lowest estimate at 100 million dollars in today's money that is 2.4 billion nice yeah nice she i think remains one of the wealthiest women who has ever lived
1: yeah that makes (laughs) sense yeah well good for her
0: good for her I I think she's cool. I, I kind of like, I started off reading about this just sort of reading that, you know, she was this Ebenezer Scrooge figure mm-hmm. who wore these plain clothes and was really horrible. There are stories about how she had a stroke because she was arguing with her servant about the price of skimmed milk.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I love the detail that it's skimmed milk. I, yes, absolutely. Because of course she'd only drink skimmed exactly. milk because the cream's too expensive.
0: <laughs> but the thing is that I think I think the people who sort of do this modern reexamination of her I think are absolutely correct. I think there was a lot to be looked at to kind of go how much of this is true and how much of this is just a thrifty woman who went against what people expected and so you know people wanted to destroy her.
1: Mhm.
0: I mean that's not exactly a mentality that has gone away nowadays. No,
1: like you definitely you definitely still have the thing where if a woman gets High up in politics, yeah. you're going to find a way to mock her for doing the same mm. things that male politicians do. Yeah. Now, fair enough, people do also mock male politicians, yeah. but one feels that there is a tendency to have a go at female politicians mm. for doing the same things that men male politicians get away with. Exactly. Same way any female celebrity does something that's slightly shocking. Yeah. A man can get away with that.
0: Absolutely. Like, what's the
1: new one? Kanye West and Who's that? Who's that female pop star oh, who's oh, having uh, a bad time?
0: Uh, Azalea Banks, is that
1: it? Could be. It could either be Azalea Banks or Iggy Azalea. It's one of the Azaleas, anyways. Yeah. Um, but is
0: this y- about the bipolar thing? Yes. Yeah, I think that is Azalea Banks.
1: Okay.
0: I mean, I, I don't really know that much about either of them.
1: No. Um.
0: So I can't really comment. But yeah, I, 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 I kind of know what you're talking about.
1: Yeah, anyway. like if let's face it, if you're a man, you're more likely to be forgiven for something. Yeah.
0: And I think that's pretty much what's been happening here. I don't think she was like a saint. No. Um, I think she did do a fair amount of good though. Mm-hmm. And I think that, yeah, I think she deserves that re-examination.
1: I She's... think it's worthwhile talking about her. I mean, we hear about all of these different male billionaires and mm. millionaires of the time. Yeah. Often because of the things that they've started or created rather than just investors but Mm. still still
0: yeah yeah so thank you very much for listening to that episode of that time when you can follow us on twitter at that time when Four. you can give us an email if you would like a to suggest a topic uh, at ttwpod at gmail.com
1: and thank you to kevin mcleod for any music we've used here especially our theme song and macronist
0: and thank you for listening See you next time!